afternoon, Milwaukee. This is Tracy Johnson. I'm filling in for Jeff Wagner on this last Friday in June. Uh, this is going to be a jam-packed Friday, as it has been a jam-packed week. So we're in the studio today while Summerfest is underway, but we will be down at the Summerfest grounds for the Wisconsin's Afternoon News later today. So stop on by, say hello, wave into the, the box, the speaking box. So we're going to cover a lot of ground today and talk to some of my favorite guests. We've got the president for the Milwaukee Metropolitan Chamber of Commerce, who will be joining us, as well as former Lieutenant Governor Margaret Farrow. So uh, the president was in town yesterday and broke ground. And of course, a lot of news. We're going to talk about how Milwaukee fared in all of this and how Trump may affected some of the minds and hearts during his visit. We're also going to get your thoughts on a new species of bird that is popping up around Milwaukee. And of course, that's a play on words. We'll dive into that a little bit later and take your calls. And of course, we're going to cover the shooting in Annapolis. There are a lot of angles to this and already a lot of angles covered because it involves the media. I want to get your thoughts on this, particularly as it pertains to workplace safety. But first, uh, Milwaukee and southeastern Wisconsin was a buzz over the last couple of days with the Foxconn groundbreaking and announcement. If any of you were trying to get through around anywhere downtown, you know what I'm talking about. But aside from that, I, I, I know we've been talking about Foxconn a lot, but I'm not sure, entirely sure, that people realize how significant this investment and this project is, especially because so much of this is shrouded by protesters and some of the negativity. But I, along with a lot of my colleagues on the show, have obviously been touting the the benefits of this, not the project, not just the project itself, but the speed at which this was executed. Now, it was just June 13th at a Walker fundraiser where Trump was in town and he hinted at the major announcement. And just two months after that, this idea came to fruition. So on June 27th, when the announcement was made, uh, the wheels were immediately set in motion in August and throughout the fall. There were there were testimonies at the Capitol. There was rezoning about funding and appropriations. And then and then, boom, here we are. We have a groundbreaking just one year later. Removing mountains. This is one of the largest foreign investments in our state's history. It is the largest in our state's history and one of the most significant for our country. And that doesn't doesn't happen because it's a good idea or a great proposition as much as it's all laid out by the leadership and Governor Walker. But this was coordinated will and effort. And the president spoke yesterday complimenting just endlessly the efforts of the governor and his ability to take this ball, this figurative ball down the field. Now, he's not spiking the football, but. He sure, he sure could. The president gave huge props to Reince Priebus and Paul Ryan and, of course, Governor Walker. Glenn Grothman got a shout out. And even the legislators who may have gone against their party in voting for this bill, part Peter Barca, to, to be specific, that took will, determination and trust. So we heard this morning, and it, it's one of the messages that has been 
pervasive uh, about the the impact, the supply chain impact that this huge manufacturer will have across the state. And we just heard the announcement this morning that up in Green Bay, an innovation center will be opened. Now, the prospect is for 200 jobs, but, you know, this isn't just about southeastern Wisconsin. An example was given by WMC President Kurt Bauer about Oshkosh Truck, one of the largest manufacturers in our state, and the impact that it has on all of the counties across the state, the supply chain, the the vendors, the the intellectual capital that they receive from all of these different places. So to date, this project team is showing that they're leveraging the entire state through the hiring of these subcontractors. Wilbur Ross, uh, in a blog yesterday, touted the president's tax cuts and the personal personal intervention. But he also hinted that there's so much more to come. And I would suspect in the next several weeks or months or who knows with this president, even days, that there would be another huge announcement made about jobs in the U.S. So we're going to talk a little bit later on the show to someone who was at that event about the scene, about the mood. Uh, We'll even ask about the tariff situation with Harley, which we'll dive into later today. But there was another fascinating aspect to this event that struck me. And that is how Milwaukee as a city, in the midst of literally its largest public event, Summerfest, handled this entire situation. I mentioned earlier that the city was abuzz and that the streets were closed and it was a little bit chaotic to the outsider looking in. So I happened to work downtown and had a number of meetings at and around the Pfister Hotel, which was the 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 ground zero, so to speak, for the activity. So in the morning, I saw officers. I happened to have a meeting on Wednesday morning. Uh, there was security. They closed the streets. I mean, it. they were definitely getting ready for a huge event, the coordinated effort. Later in the day, garbage trucks were placed a, a block on each end surrounding the hotel in case of any sort of situation. They had metal detectors outside of the hotel. Uh, Of course, there were protesters, but they were mostly peaceful and quiet, which I was expecting more of of a scene. So a lot of people knew what was going on, but I think there were a lot of people who didn't. Of course, you had Summerfest going on. You had all of these visitors in downtown Milwaukee. Now, we did hear that surrounding businesses weren't told about the street closures up and leading to that event, but... I think there's always room for improvement. The thing that struck me was this enormous effort by the city, the hotel, and the coordination that had to have happened with the White House, the state, and others. And the people question if our city can handle this large type of convention, whether it's the DNC convention or the NRA convention or anything that is a magnitude of what we have today. And I I think the answer is yes. It, it, it's intimidating, but really, this buzz is what our city should be striving for. This buzz and activity is good for everyone, the economy, the residents, the businesses. All I have to say after yesterday, well done, Milwaukee. Well done, Wisconsin. So up next, workplace violence, the shooting in Annapolis. We're going we're gonna to talk about this. We're going to talk about workplace safety 
coming up next on WTMJ. Good afternoon. This is Tracy filling in for Jeff on WTMJ. That's Halsey, who will be at the American Family Amphitheater tonight at Summerfest. Uh, that's a, it's such a great new amphitheater. I was just there last night. Uh, check it out if you are down there. So we have yet another shooting making headlines today, and this time in Annapolis, Maryland. And so there are a lot of directions to go with this. There are a lot of directions that have already been taken. Uh, so this man was a, a known entity, a former employee, this Jared Ramos. And he he was even said to, people suspected that he could go off the handle like this. What I wonder is how this information surfaces after the fact we have seen this with shooting after shooting where people have come forward and said, yeah, I, I, I thought he would do that. I, I, I thought he would blow his top. So he was a known entity and he, he even made threats to the paper on social media. So what I find encouraging about this conversation is that it has less to do with the gun laws and more to do with what's behind them and the anger and what's fueling this. Because I think there's more opportunity to take action, reasonable transformative action about the motives than the guns. So this man was angry. He was going to hurt someone. He went in with the explicit notion that he was going to hurt people, kill people, a gun, a knife, a vehicle. So whatever that might be. So as you recall, this Jared Ramos Ramos lost a defamation suit that was brought against him uh, by the paper. And it was about their portrayal of him and his guilty plea of a harassment of women over social media. So this rage has been brewing for a very long time. And people, I think, in the back of their mind kind of knew that that this man was ready to explode. So, you know, the tone in this country, regardless of who started it, has reached a fever pitch. I know trolling through social media, you see the comments from from many who are in the media who are saying, you know, I'm really afraid. Am I really able to express my opinion now? And then there are some who say, well, the president started it or the politician started it. You know what? It doesn't matter. This can't be a scapegoat for human decency. So those in the media or in politics or everywhere else who feel content attacking people for who they are and what, they're belie- what they believe, this is, this is what happens. And again, it's not a matter of who started it. It's a matter of, of who is going to end it. So what I wonder though about this and and this situation could have been a lot worse and we we always say that but in this situation this workplace had a security plan they had just gone through a security plan and they were there was a a response to the location within 60 seconds and five people had already died and there were many others that were injured But because they had a safety plan, a workplace safety plan, they were able to avoid more injury, more death, more violence. So as someone who works downtown, and many of you listening are working office buildings, whether it's in the suburbs or downtown, 
do you feel safe at work? Do you have a safety plan? 414-799-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you guys talk about this in your meetings? Is, is it time that you talk about this in your meetings? Whether you have a disgruntled employee, whether you have an employee who had been let go. Are workplaces handling this seriously? 414-799-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Your call's coming up next. WTMJ is your one-stop shop for all things Summerfest. Today's live broadcast at The Big Gig is sponsored by Wisconsin Harley-Davidson in Oconomowoc. This is Tracy Johnson filling in for Jeff Wagner on this first Friday of Summerfest. We're taking your calls about the shooting in Annapolis, uh, really around the question of workplace safety. And, and if your your place of work has a plan, and is this now something that that employers have to consider lisa in milwaukee you're on wtmj lisa what do you think do you have a plan in place for your workplace we absolutely do um and i'm in a little different situation than than the the newspaper office only because i do work in a school and and we've definitely been more aggressive um with that um so we absolutely have a place a plan in place we practice it on a regular basis um, one of the more interesting things, though, is taking a little different turn than it did a few years ago, and that is in that um, the new plan or the new addition to the plan is that teachers are more aggressive in disarming any shooters, wow. and that has me um, just a little concerned. So we've had a last year we had a training session and we talked about the different things we have in our classrooms that we could use to disarm the shooter. Um, so there's all kinds of discussions going on, not just as an escape plan or with the sole goal of, of keeping the kids safe, that's your number one priority, but then also what can you do to disarm or limit the harm that, that an active shooter or any kind of violence um, that's happening unexpected. So that that's a little different than the businesses, but um, still on the same vein. Well, Lisa, what I find interesting about that, we, we've talked about this and unfortunately for me I've been on when there have been shootings and maybe it's just Mm -hmm. because of the frequency and so many of them have been in schools and we talk about what are these schools doing what you've said is that where you are you have this in place for a long time this has been a concern a long time yes so what what kinds of things I mean do you have to do tactical training or is it mostly information do you well, a lot of it's information. Um, we, we do practice it on a regular basis. We have discussion groups. We have uh, the police comes, the police department comes in and they talk to our entire faculty, fielded some questions. So, um, while we haven't practiced that, I'll have to be honest with you. I heard some rumors about things coming up, mm-hmm. um, where we will do some active practicing on, on what to do and some role playing. Do you feel safe? Um, I think I do for the most part. Um, I, I really do. As, as much as we hear these school shootings, and you and I both know they can happen anywhere, mm-hmm. I think they're kind of to- totally random. And if you look at the percent that happen, which are a tragedy, can, you know, in comparison to how many school systems there are out there, I'm hoping the odds are against that, you know, what happened in my school system. But I think I do for the most part. Lisa, I think, go ahead. You know, sometimes there's not much you can do. Lisa, thanks for the call. Yeah. So, for, uh, 
So, you know, I think what Lisa says, says, you know, and this is actually encouraging on two fronts. So talking about the shooter in Annapolis and what are these workplaces doing to prevent this? Is this a wake up call for for some some companies that may or may not have them, whether they're large or small? When you're downtown in an office building or in the suburbs in an office building, often you can just walk right in. There is no security. What Lisa was talking about in a school, and I think this is something that, that many people may may not completely appreciate, is some of these schools have been talking about this for a long time. And so when it comes to our kids' safety, when it comes to our own safety, we all know the guns are out there. The crazy people are out there. We need to protect ourselves. We need to have a plan in place. And not that situations like what happened in Annapolis remind us of that but i think that that's the takeaway yes there are crazy people yes there are angry people i don't know how we tone down the rhetoric in the media with the politicians but we can keep ourselves safe we can have a plan and so you know i think that's the next step so i'm, I'm glad that in annapolis we had that plan in place it prevented a lot of people from getting hurt it's game two for the crew and the Reds, our Brewers game day coverage live, live from Great American Ballpark starts tonight at 535, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. So that was Logic, who's opening for Halsey tonight at the American Family Amphitheater. If you text the word Summerfest to the Aconet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 414-799-1620, you will receive a rundown of all of the day's events. I also have to take this opportunity to plug the amazing 2018 Summerfest app. So download that and you can can grab a, uh, a take of what is going on at Summerfest today. So this has this next topic has been blowing up the text line already and I had just teased it. So there is a new mode of transportation that was introduced in downtown Milwaukee and in many other cities across the world. It, there are the these dockless bikes and scooters. So those of you who have been in downtown Milwaukee or in any of these other kind of densely populated cities across the country as a visitor have probably seen these 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 bikes that you can share. You rent them. So if you have been down to Summerfest in the last couple of days, there's a very high likelihood that you've seen these buzzing around. So they're these bird scooters and the way they work is you download an app on your phone and you can locate where these scooters are located and how far away you are from one of these scooters and then you pay a dollar to start your ride and you swipe a QR code I actually had to ask our intern how this worked because he had been on one of these the other day you you swipe this QR code on your phone and then you pay 15 cents Per mile or per minute, I'm sorry, to ride on this scooter. Now, this thing goes 15 miles an hour. So you just get on it and you take it to wherever you want to go. And then you get off and you leave the bike. You leave the scooter wherever you are and you're done. So it, it's like the, the Uber, the Uber, if many of you have taken the Uber, where it's just an app and you kind of call it and it's a ride share application. It's like the Uber of bikes. 
So there are 100 of these bikes that were dropped off by the Bird Company in the third ward in Walker's Point. And it was really to take advantage of all of the, the traffic and the congestion in advance of Summerfest. So these were dropped off on Wednesday. And, 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 and I'm thinking this could either be a really good thing or a really bad thing when you have all of these people and then all of these scooters. And then think about these busy streets and where these these scooters are left off. Well, just yesterday, a mere 24 hours after these bird scooters were dropped off in downtown Milwaukee, the city's attorney's office said that it is illegal to use these scooters uh, or these bikes on the sidewalks and the streets in downtown Milwaukee. And if you are caught using one of these scooters, you will be fined upwards of $100. So the aldermen have raised concerns that the scooters will pile up on the city streets and the sidewalks because people don't understand how to handle them responsibly. So should these be outlawed? Should we be able to use these shared scooters or should there be a law against these? 414-799-1620 on the Aconite Mortgage Talk and Text Line. These bird scooters are in Milwaukee, and the company leaders have have said that they have submitted the appropriate paperwork. So, so this company is trying to do the right thing. They're trying to make their way into Milwaukee to say, hey, you've got congestion, you've got an opportunity. Of course, we're, we're a company. We want to capitalize on this. We want to take advantage of this. So should these shared scooters and bikes be allowed in downtown Milwaukee? And is it safe with the streetcar, the people, the congestion? 414-799-1620 on the Aconet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Your call's coming up next. That's Billy Currington at, playing at the U.S. Cellular Connection stage down at Summerfest tonight. If you text the word Summerfest to 414-799-1620, the Aconet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, you will get today's schedule texted Back to you. So we are talking about the newest species of bird in downtown Milwaukee, and that is a motorized scooter. These motorized scooters have been just dropped off in downtown Milwaukee on Wednesday afternoon. People are are riding them around to Summerfest. They're very cheap, inexpensive alternative to fighting the crowds, to trying to drive down to Summerfest and park. And the city's attorney, city attorney's office said that they are against the law and that if you are caught using one, you will be fined $100. Should this be outlawed? Mary Angela in Wauwatosa, what do you think? Should they be outlawed? Hey, Ms. Tracy, thank you for taking my call. Um, you know, I'm out there delivering flowers um, as a profession. I think, personally, I think it's a wonderful idea. And with that all being said, please, do not text and be on those scooters. I almost took off three of them in a short period of time because they were texting and using the scooters. So please, I think it's a great idea. Texting and using them just don't, I've witnessed, just do not blend very well. And stay hydrated, Tracy. Have a blessed day. Okay. Thank you, Mary Angela. So is these scooters, and I think that, that many people will 
say that these are a great idea. They're a great alternative to trying to use an Uber or trying to, you know, run through the congestion. But I think the matter is, do people really understand what to do with these scooters once they ride them for a couple of blocks, a couple of miles, and and just just leave them there. 414-799-1620 on the Aconet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should these be outlawed? The city attorney's office has said that they should be outlawed. So, and, and is it a matter of taking a look at the application and saying that this is a viable uh, a viable business and that people want it? I have concerns about the safety about the safety, especially with the streetcar downtown. And I, I work downtown. I walk around downtown, and I see it every day. Mary Angela just said people are, are walking around and texting. It's it's just as bad as texting and driving, being inattentive. And when you are sharing the road with a car, I don't care if you have the right of way. If the car hits you and you're done, you're done. And introducing some of these these shareable transportation modes, I think is it, it has to be thoughtfully done. And I think that the companies need to work with the municipalities, work with the elected officials, work with the other modes of transportation and say, is this viable? Is this going to work for our community? Now, many have suggested that these are just tech companies and they're coming into the city. They're trying to get people's information. They don't care about the the bikes because the bikes are really a secondary reason for them being in town these are basically disposable bikes and scooters and they're just looking for your information so that they can send you advertising and and sell this lists somewhere down the road but is it safe should it be outlawed i wonder why they just came into town without asking permission but people People seem to like it. Marilyn Franklin, what do you think? Should these be outlawed? Uh, hi, Tracy. Yes, I think it should be. We winter in Scottsdale, Arizona, and they last year for the first year they brought in bikes, bicycles. And what happens is, is the company drops them off at, the, at these, these local centers, and, and it's a one-way ticket. So the bikes are left all over the place, and the people don't care where they leave them, on somebody's front lawn, on whatever the situation is. And, and I can't imagine just the compound problems it being motorized. It, it just totally detracts from the area. So you've seen this actually in place yes. where it's the, yes. pe- people just uh, – is, is that human decency to put, put them back where you found it or put it back in a reasonable way that the next person can use it? Yes. If these businesses were designed to have to take that bike back where it came from, I think everything would be fine. But the problem is it's a one-way ticket, and they leave them just any place. And you drive up and down the road, and you might see one in a yard. You might see 20 in a yard. It just does not help the situation. I can't believe Scottsdale, Arizona, as progressive as they are, would even allow that to happen. But it did. Well, Meryl, one thing that that this bike company has has agreed to do is to pick these bikes up 
after every day or if there's a concentrated amount because as you as as this company portrays they are gps monitored and so yep. you can tell they if, know where they're at so they can go and pick them up and then redistribute them which i think if if you can put that in practice then it it might be able to work but what what's happening is that these companies will come into these communities and then they will they will they will get their money and they will get their information and then they will just leave town or they will sell out and they leave the remnants behind which are these physical assets these bikes these scooters and they just leave them behind well if they want to make any money they have to put them at night where they're going to be used so I don't see them leaving them. The problem is, is I don't care, day or night, you see these bikes scattered all over the place. And it sounds like a great idea, but it ends up looking like litter. Merrill, thanks for the call. You're I think, welcome. I think one thing that that you know Merrill hinted on, and, and I think is a, a good point to make, too, is if in practice these companies can commit to picking up these bikes at the end of the day, because they have to be charged. These are motorized scooters. They have to be charged. If they can commit to picking these bikes up at the end of the day and charging them, keeping them in a safe place, cleaning them, being responsible for, responsible for picking them up out of the river if somebody happens to throw it in the river, uh, you know, maybe this could work. Edward, in downtown, what do you think? Should this be outlawed? No, it should not be. And again, this is another form of government intrusion. Governments should just get out of businesses' way and let business conduct themselves and let people just be. This is not a nanny state. We are adults. We can deal with our own problems. We can fix our own problems. If the company who has this scooter, they're leaving it around, they will quickly discover if people are misusing them, that they're losing money, and they will adjust. We don't need government to come and regulate every little thing about our lives. So what do you think about the, the 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 city attorney's office coming down and saying that, that this is illegal for now? Do you think this is just a, a way to try to shore up some of the safety and ride share mechanism, or is this a way of, of coming down on private business? This is just a way of coming down on private business. Again, this is, this is the companies who are making money. Government, well, obviously they are losing money because nobody's driving and they're not using the, they're not parking so the government, yes, government is losing money. So obviously they're going to try and, 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 and stop people from, from coming up with innovative, innovative ways to fight over and, and lift. You know? mm-hmm. It is just so frustrating to see that when, when companies come up with brilliant ideas, there's always a government agency that's going to stand in there with a stopper from just growing. Edwin, thanks for the call. Lisa and Sheboygan, what do you think? Should this be outlawed? Um, well, I just wanted to say that we were out in California in San Jose this winter, and um, we saw these scooters all over the place. We saw them in San Francisco, too, and they had them set up in a central distribution area, like, to begin the day. But then people would just be randomly leaving them, you know, by storefronts or whatever. And you had to download an app to be able to use it that had your credit card on it. Mm-hmm. So that's how they charged you for it, and it was so much per I think it's so much per mile that you got charged. We never used them. And then we did see at 10 o'clock at night, they were coming around and collecting them. And they just put them in the back of like a pickup truck. And they were, you know, collecting them, you know, for the the day. And then they put them out again the next day. So did you see pockets of them? I mean, did you feel concerned? Were they left a strew in the middle of sidewalks? Um, 
No, I mean, we, we saw a lot of people on them. Um, but from a, I guess, from a safety concern, I don't know how fast they go or anything. And we were, you know, we were pedestrians and people seem to be in control with them. But um, I can see if you have a congested area, it might get kind of crazy. But um, I'm not I'm not sure how much they charge for them, but it it was interesting. We had never seen anything like that before. Well, um, they go fit. But I would think they'd have to get some type of licensure to be able to operate. Well, and they these vehicles, these scooters go 15 miles per hour, which I, I oh. think is pretty fast. And, yeah. you know, in terms of getting a, a license, I think it's it's a matter of being able to have access to the right of way, right? You've got the sidewalk that's meant for pedestrians. You've got bike lanes, which are meant for bikes. So where do these scooters fit into all of that? And who's who should be paying for that? That that yeah. that access point and that infrastructure is paid for by the, the taxpayers. And so Yeah, because they were they were pretty much in the bike lanes and sometimes even on the sidewalks. But for the most part they were on the bike lanes and we saw them in the downtown area of San Jose. And then when we were along the wharf in um, San Francisco, we saw a lot of them too. And I don't know what their, what their policy is for how they pick them up at the end of the day. But in San Jose, we did see a pickup truck that was just loading them all up in the back of there. And I don't know if, if there's some that are missing. Do people just get charged for them, for the cost of them, if they don't show up? I don't know. Well, and I, it seems that that's m- maybe immaterial because at the at the core of these companies they're really trying to just get information right yeah it's a technology company that's just i mean it's an app they're just trying to collect information but it is it is somewhat of a public service i guess too but yeah, interesting yeah lisa thanks for the call i i think that the the what lisa said and Ed, edwin we had really diversity of of callers but this public service versus public nuisance, I think, is where we're going to start to see this battle. And some companies, when they come into town, like an Uber, like a Lyft, a shared service transportation mode, they work with government ahead of time. They work to try to avoid these problems because we saw the city attorney's office come down hard on this company. And you know they, they did not ask for permission. They asked for forgiveness. So is that going to work in the long run? We shall see the newest species of bird in downtown Milwaukee. Here's the deal, though. Do not ride them. You will get a ticket. This is Tracy Johnson on WTMJ. That is Billy Currington, who is playing tonight at the U.S. Cellular Connection stage down at the Summerfest grounds. Uh, if you text in 414-799-1620, the word Summerfest, you will receive a text with all of today's lineup, including Billy Currington today at the U.S. Cellular Connection State. So I was down at Summerfest last night for the first time, uh, the 2018 season. And actually, that's a rarity for me. It took two days for me to, to get there for the first time. Uh, a couple of, a couple of things. It's going to be very hot down there and water bottles are allowed. They cannot be opened, but they are allowed because of the heat and also the security lines. Uh, I got down there uh, about 45 minutes before the show. I saw James Taylor last night between six and seven o'clock. Those lines are long. So be prepared. No backpacks. You can take those cinch sacks. If you take a backpack, 
it will be confiscated and donated to Goodwill or or someone else. So don't make that mistake. Uh, I saw a couple people around me make that mistake, and um, you know that's just too bad. You spend so much time trying to get down there, it, it's just a shame uh, trying to get back. So coming up in the next hour, uh, we've got a, a call with uh, Tim Sheehy, the president for the. Metropolitan Milwaukee Chamber of Commerce. He was at the Foxconn groundbreaking last night, and he's been involved with this project a very long time. So stick around for that. We're also going to talk about the Harley Tariff TIFF. Coming up next after the break. Tracy Johnson on WTMJ. Good Friday afternoon. This is Tracy Johnson filling in for Jeff Wagner on this hot and humid Friday afternoon. Also, a very congested Friday afternoon. The Econet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is blowing up with just comments about the traffic. It must be crazy out there, but don't worry. We're here to keep you company. So yesterday, uh, a huge announcement, uh, a huge groundbreaking, a huge moment for our state and, and for our country, arguably. The Foxconn groundbreaking just one year after the announcement was made, happened right in our state. And we have with us on the phone uh, a man who has been part of this process from the beginning. Tim Sheehy, the president and CEO for Metropolitan Milwaukee Association of Commerce. Tim, thanks for being on. Tracy, great to hear you on the radio. Yeah, this is fine. So uh, congratulations. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, a huge team effort uh, wouldn't have happened without uh, the president's tip of the hat and, and the hard work that the governor put in to do this. So it's a it's a thrill. It was a thrill to be at the groundbreaking yesterday. So did did you think that this day would be here? You know, if you had asked me, would would Wisconsin become home to the fourth largest technology company in the world? making the largest foreign direct investment in U.S. history, I probably would have said no. Uh, but kind of given the landscape the governor has built uh, and the work we've put together to make sure we had a good team ready in southeastern Wisconsin, uh, I'm glad I can say yes today. So this process, and, and even though you, you kind of, at the beginning, if you said, yes, I can see this happening, there there had to have been challenges along the way. And We've been talking a lot about all the positive things, but but along the way, what has been the most challenging part of all this? Well, I, I think the most challenging part of this, and the one that we delivered on, was 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 the speed, uh, the ability in in less than a year to you know conclude a deal, to put a really buttoned up piece of uh, incentive in place, and to convince Foxconn that we could move at this speed. And we had the, the, the people to do that. That was probably the, the, the biggest challenge. Um, but I would, um, I guess not, I don't want to gloat, but sitting here today, I think we met that challenge. Yeah, you met that challenge and you beat that challenge. So, so looking forward then, what, what's the most challenging part going forward? Well, I think the most challenging part going forward, and hopefully it'll uh, pair back after the election, is you know, the political football in some respects that Foxconn has become. Um, and I think it's confusing to Foxconn and confusing to a lot of us that have worked on the project. Um, here we stand to gain, you know, $10 billion in capital investment, uh, which has already started with a $125 million contract to begin to lay the base. 27 of the 28 
contractors are from Wisconsin. Uh, they're employing 62, or they're, they're employing people in 62 of the 72 Wisconsin counties. Um, and so just moving this to the point that this is real, it's going to happen, and it is going to reorient the compass when people talk about uh, advanced technology and the digital economy. It's going to reorient the compass towards uh, Wisconsin and southeastern Wisconsin with the investment that Foxconn is making and all the follow-on investment that's going to come, um, including uh, just last week the announcement of a $15 million new North American corporate headquarters, uh, the announcement today of a technology center they're going to put up in Green Bay. Uh, so I think this is this is only the beginning, uh, and I hope people uh, will focus on what it means for Wisconsin's future uh, and not treat it as a political football. Well, and, and for, for the first, I would say, six months or so, this technology, this concept of technology and 8K technology, and it, it just, it doesn't even exist yet. The platform doesn't even exist yet. And it seems so, so unreal. But to see the signs on the buildings, to see the actual uh, layout of the buildings, in fact, people can go down there over the next couple of days, right, and check it out. Yeah, there's an open house Friday and Saturday, and I would encourage people if they have the chance to do it. I know we're going into the 4th of July weekend, but it is an amazing display of what the world is going to look like through, you know, screens and autonomous vehicles, through healthcare, um, sports and entertainment, uh, manufacturing. Uh, it, it's really an incredible uh, look into the future uh, and a look that's being made here from, uh, from Wisconsin. So I, I think you're... You know, I think you're right in your assessment, uh, and I, I really think that Wisconsin has positioned itself well, not forgetting for one minute all the great companies we have employing people here. I think this is just going to help attract people uh, to Wisconsin that may have not looked here as a place uh, to start or grow a career. So you were on the ground yesterday. Mm-hmm. Can, can you give us a sense for for what that was like? If I understand this was a full day commitment with lots of transportation and buses and security lines. What, what was this like? What was the energy? Well, the, 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 there's incredible energy. And, and whenever a president comes to town and just the level of setup and security, but I think it is um, under, an understatement to say it was breathtaking to see the site, all the earth moving equipment the huge American flag that's up there. Um, there are a thousand trucks a day, which is almost a truck, a, or, you know, a thousand trucks a day, which is almost a truck a minute, uh, delivering aggregate to the site and hauling dirt off. Uh, so it's an incredible sight to see. Uh, and then to have, you know, the president there, uh, the speaker there. And I thought the president had a great line. Uh, you know, at one point he said, uh, while well, he came across Foxconn first, uh, he handed it off to the governor, and the governor ran for 2,000 yards. And, and I think he's exactly right. Um, so I, I, I tip my hat to the president for kind of having them look at, at Wisconsin, but then we had to, you know, pick it up and deliver. So you had, a, I think, a great spectacle uh, in the groundbreaking, and then the facility itself is just amazing. Again, I feel like I, I walked into uh, a time 10 years from now or 20 years from now uh, just to see the technology and the manufacturing that's going on uh, that's going to benefit lots of companies and, and lots of partnerships that we're going to see with existing employers. When you mentioned the the tip of the hat to, to 
to Governor Walker. He, the president also gave huge kudos to Reince Priebus and to Paul Ryan, and uh, deservedly so, in, in the way that these people work together. If one of those people were not in place, does this deal happen? No, you're, you're right. I mean, um, from, the again, the initial contact uh, of, of Foxconn to the president, um, Ryan being his, his chief of staff, uh, having a good sense of th- southeastern Wisconsin, the president physically seeing this year. Um, and so he, he did give us a nod. It didn't guarantee at all we were going to get it. And then you've know, got the speaker that was incredibly helpful. Uh, but I, I also don't want to ex- um, excuse or diminish the, the effort of, you know, uh, Corey Mason, who is a Democrat in the assembly, who is now uh, um, the mayor down there, and, and Peter Barca, the Democratic minority leader, unfortunately, who lost his position. Um, so I, I think, again, if you strip away the politics, people on both sides of the aisle see the value uh, of what this could mean for uh, jobs and economic growth. So switching away from Foxconn to Harley-Davidson, one of the companies we love in our state, how does this resolve? Is this just a flare-up and, to, to use your words, kind of a political football? Yeah, I, I think it's a, you know, unfortunately it's a, it's a very real issue. It's a big challenge, the theft of intellectual property and some of the tariffs that companies in the United States are facing. But, um, you know, the, the comment I made, uh, which was picked up in the paper this morning, uh, in terms of having the president come here and welcome Foxconn and at the same time, uh, you know, diss Harley Davidson, uh, the comment I made is uh, like somebody bringing a new uh, guest to a dinner party and stepping on the toes of somebody already sitting at the table. So uh, I'm hopeful that the tariff issues get resolved uh, and that the guidance that Harley-Davidson has talked about, they haven't done anything, mm-hmm. uh, but they clearly laid out their plans that if the tariffs uh, on their motorcycles uh, go up in Europe, you know, it will cost them, you know, $100 million or almost 2000 a bike, and they can't have that happen. So they'll begin to um, assemble more of those bikes in Thailand. Um, that's certainly not good for the United States. Uh, but uh, they are not moving any production in the United States for the United States overseas. So hopefully the president will find a way towards uh, an end here that does not have the disruption uh, that it could potentially cause Harley-Davidson. Yeah, certainly a, a gem, and I think I think everybody's trying to, to choose not only their words but their actions wisely because this is very fragile. Uh, one last question, Tim. Wisconsin. What, what's next for our state? Well, I, I think what's next for our state is, you know, we're sitting here today at 2.8% unemployment, a, a, an unprecedented low number. Yet we have um, lots of our citizens that are on the sidelines of our economy uh, because they don't have the skills or education or haven't found a way to plug in. So what's next for Wisconsin is we need to reach out and figure out a way to get those folks that are not employed uh, uh, into the economy to help employers grow. And we're going to need to attract a lot more people to Wisconsin so we can meet the demand and the jobs that companies are here creating. If we can do that, uh, then uh, we're going to grow even more than we have as a state. So uh, bottom line, Tracy, I think we're very well positioned. We have a very fiscally sound state, one of 
two pension funds in the country that are 100% funded. Uh, so we're well positioned for the future, um, and we want that future to include everybody uh, that is underemployed or un- unemployed at this point because we're going to need them uh, to reach our potential. Tim Sheehy, President and CEO for M- Milwaukee Metropolitan Association of Commerce. Thank you so much for sharing your insights, your your inside uh, perspective on what happened yesterday and what the future holds. Thank you so much, and, and congratulations to you, your team, and, and the state of Wisconsin. This is such an astounding accomplishment. Thank you, Tracy. Happy to be with you anytime. All right. Thank you. Have a great day. So uh, just following up on the Foxconn open house, uh, I got it from the talk and text line. It's open today until 7 o'clock tomorrow, then 10 to 4, back in the industrial park in the southeast corner of I-94 and Highway 20 west of Racine in the town of Mount Pleasant. So if you're looking to stop on down there, take a peek at, at what Foxconn is going to physically deliver to our state and to our country, uh, stop on down and see it. They want you to be there. They want to have a relationship with this community. Foxconn, big groundbreaking yesterday. This is Tracy Johnson on WTMJ. That is the plain white tees. They are at the Uline Warehouse tonight at Summerfest. If you text the word Summerfest to 414-799-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage, Talk and text line, you will receive a a text back of the lineup of all of today's shows, including the plain white tees today at Summerfest. And just a reminder, uh, because of the heat advisory, you are able to bring unopened water bottles into the Summerfest grounds. And Wisconsin Afternoon News will be broadcasting live from the grounds later today. So stop on by and say hello. So today is the last day. The last day and the end of an era for Toys R Us. It's their last day in business. So many of us have, have grown up with this brand, with with the with the giraffe. I mean, everybody knows this brand, and not only the Toys R Us brand, but the Babies R Us brand, which uh, has been kind of a spinoff of the store, and now have consolidated and will be having their last day in business today. So this impacts. About 30,000 workers. So they are going to be without jobs. And uh, while the company has said that they will try to help them with those efforts, so much of this is just uh, not possible. And this ripple effect is, is impacting Hasbro and Mattel, all the manufacturers for these toys. And so much of that reason I've heard is is this movement to video games and to virtual reality and we're putting our kids on these iPads and these phones and these games so early on people don't want to play with with the the little xylophone toy or the jack in the box and and all of these classic toys but the ripple effect that this will have on on this segment of the economy for for toy manufacturers in general Toys R Us was a huge huge uh, uh, outlet for some of these very, very specialized and very iconic toys. So right now, the way that, that some of the other retailers are responding, Walmart and Target, they will be expanding their toy departments. And also, City Party City is going to be opening these pop-up toy stores. And so, you know, the market will adapt. 
People will still be able to get their toys, but the fact remains this is just one more retailer that, as a result of changing demographics, changing preferences, uh, will be uh, closing down too. And it's unfortunate, of course, because of, of so much of a uh, 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 loss of jobs, of course, and, and many people who've been with the company for, for so, so many years. Now, this company, they filed for Chapter 11, and they tried to, to reorganize. They tried to stay afloat. But so many times in these kind of investment and buyout deals with these big companies, it just isn't possible. And they're, they're weighing all of these other interests uh, along with, of course, the interests of the store. So if you're looking to hit Toys R Us one more time, today is your last and final day. And also another deadline coming up. And I, I, I almost forgot about this, but the child tax credit, if you have not filed for the child tax credit, it's a $100 state tax credit, state of Wisconsin, uh, you have until July 2nd to apply. And, you know, I thought, hey, I'm not going to do this. I, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to take this tax credit. This is probably really complicated. You go on the website, you fill in the information. It's available to you. It's free money. You will get this this the the tax credit check in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so go online; it's very easy to do. Uh, there's lots of information out there. So get your $100 tax credit. July 2nd is the last last day to do it. And if you miss out, you miss out. So coming up in the next half hour, we are going to talk about a school board case, a school board decision in Grafton High School. You are not going to want to miss this. Uh, This is Tracy Johnson on WTMJ. That is May's Frankie Beverly at the BMO Harris Pavilion tonight at Summerfest. You can text the word Summerfest to 414-799-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line and you will get a full lineup of everything that is happening at Summerfest tonight. You can also download the app, which is absolutely my favorite for getting around and navigating all that there is to know about Summerfest. So in Grafton, uh, a little, little town north of where we are at the studio today, uh, fifth graders in the Grafton School District will now be introduced to the subject of sexual abuse starting in the 1819 school year. So there was a school board meeting on June 25th earlier this week that approved the changes to the district's human growth and development curriculum. These changes came about uh, after discussions with parents, with teachers, with stakeholders. And uh, the director of teaching had presented the suggestions uh, to the school board and those recommendations were advanced to to the school board, which voted then earlier this week. So these recommendations that arose out of the discussions uh, were, were also in line with the National Sexually Education Standards and the National Health Standards uh, and, and what those statutes require. So most of the changes that were recommended were minor, but it did include this topic of sexual abuse and in fifth grade so so is this is is this a good idea are, are kids too young in fifth grade to be exposed 
uh, to this topic. So, so what the curriculum will entail, according to the spokesperson, is, is talking about recognizing being in those situations where you're uncomfortable, where you feel unsafe, and teaching kids and talking to kids about how you build trust with adults and how you tell someone if you get in this situation. Is this a good idea? 414-799-1620 on the Aconet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should, should children in fifth grade be exposed to this type of education? Recognizing sexual abuse. And in Grafton, is it is it this pervasive? Are they ahead of the curve or are they behind the curve? Are they in line with, with current thinking? But this was just approved by the school board that students in fifth grade will be taught to recognize sexual abuse. They will be taught to how to react if they see something wrong, if they see something that doesn't look right, and, and what what will that do to these kids? Now, this education will come before health education on self-esteem, on relationships, birth control, pregnancy. So they will be talking about sexual abuse before any of this. Is this a good idea in fifth grade? 414-799-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Or, or is this too early? Or will this make abusers stay away, knowing that these kids will be equipped with this information? Your call's calling, coming up next, 414-799-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Tracy Johnson on WTMJ. That is Maze featuring Frankie Beverly at the BMO Harris Pavilion today at Summerfest. Wisconsin's Afternoon News will also be down there at 3.30, so stop by, say hello, and check out Maze featuring Frankie Beverly at the BMO Harris Pavilion tonight. Uh, we were discussing Grafton, uh, Grafton School District and their, the, the vote by the school board earlier this week to introduce the curriculum of sexual abuse into their health education starting in fifth grade. And I had posed the question, is this a good idea? Are these kids too young? Is this going to make a difference? John, in Thienesville, what do you say? Good, uh, good afternoon. Yeah, I've got a daughter that's actually going into fifth grade in Grafton. I did not know about this, that this was going to be in the curriculum next year. I'm glad to hear it. I've had many conversations with my daughter already on this subject because she does spend time with friends uh, and they go to parks and stuff, and I want her to be aware of what's out there in this world today and i'm glad the school's uh, stepping up and going to take care of this too well and john you know parents do have an opportunity to opt out of this or maybe you didn't know this but do you get the sense from talking to the other parents in your community that your enthusiasm is shared or will they I, be a controversy i don't think it'll be a controversy i haven't talked to anybody about this like i said i just heard learned about it now on the radio um, but I'll be going to the pool today and talking to them about this now to see what they do think. But I think it's going to be shared. Uh, they did learn um, some human growth stuff this past year, 
and there weren't any kids that opted out of it as far as I know. My daughter never said anything about it. I know there was lots of giggles in the class when they were talking about it. They separated the boys from the girls in the two different classes. Uh, but to get them uh, exposed to, you know, learning about what to watch for out there in the in the world nowadays, with kids having more access to be able to do things on their own and the stuff that they see on the Internet, I hope that it goes into the details of that, too, that they know what to watch for. And I think it'll put uh, the kids in Grafton a step ahead. John, thanks for the call. Steve in Caledonia, is, is fifth grade the right age to be showing kids this curriculum about sexual abuse yeah i just uh, definitely think it's the perfect age because i think that uh, parents are too scared to talk with their kids about it so if somebody else starts it then you can start talking about it at home i have a 11 year old daughter and want to talk about it with her but didn't until they started talking about it in school so in talking to other parents, is this a pervasive thought in terms of, yes, this is an issue, I've been wondering about this, thank goodness that the school is stepping up? I think it's a, I think everybody's glad that the school is stepping up because it's a topic that you don't want to start because you don't want your kids to grow up, but there's uh, sickles out there, you got to look out for them. Steve, thanks for the call. Lamar in Orlando, what do you think? Is is fifth grade too early to be talking about sexual abuse? Uh, no, I don't think it's too early to be talking about sexual abuse. Uh, and actually, uh, being a Floridian, I think that that should be a part of our curriculum here. Uh, but kids are given a device that gives them unfettered access to the world, that you know, the cell phone. And so a lot of this stuff, uh, a lot of the stuff that we're afraid to expose them to, they're, they're exposed to anyway because a lot of parents don't even they don't even monitor a lot of the stuff that the kids have access to on their cell phones, and I think that the more tools we can give, because we talk about schools, you know, sex education, we talk about not wanting schools to do it. The reality is, and like the last caller um, alluded to, a lot of parents don't want to have these conversations, and for the schools to initiate this does open up um, those conversations, um, you know, for for young people at home uh, with their parents. And I think I think it's, I personally think it's a great idea. Well, and even when you talk about kind of opening those barriers in the communication with the parents, I mean, it's starting with sexual abuse, and it's more of kind of an introspective curriculum, or at least it sounds that way. It, it, it basically is saying, we know you might not be exposed to this. We might you might not be familiar with it, but it will probably not only help the kids, but the kids help their peers and their friends recognize when something isn't right and and seems to be kind of a a platform to then that conversation about self-confidence later on in the curriculum lamar thanks for the call uh rob in kenosha is is fifth grade too early for kids to be learning about sexual abuse absolutely not the students of today are much more uh inclined to learn much because they have the social media, they have got the internet, they have ways to do that. But my other point I wanted to make was caller two prior, two callers prior said that he was happy to see that this curriculum was going to be instilled, but he said, I'm glad that the schools are going to be helping to learn to teach this too. T-O-O. Mm-hmm. And then as an educator, I'm going to visit and say, it's my responsibility to teach their child. Well, I agree with that statement in my curriculum and everything in my content area, but other things such as maybe a sexual um, 
abuse situations. I mean, we can certainly talk about that, but it has to start at home. It absolutely has to start at home. And when they agree and partner up along with the education, and, and I, you just said earlier that it's okay for the students to talk to their peers, I think sometimes these students, because parents are afraid to say anything, the students might be able to lead that discussion at home themselves. Well, and even I also think, too, though, Rob, is some of these households, regardless of of where they're located, are are often homes where there's split custody of if there's a divorce in the family. And I think one thing to consider is even that amount of time spent with kids, sometimes those situations are uh, they're just they're just a little bit different what is dad's role what is mom's role uh in trying to bring these kids uh, that information is essential and being able to recognize that and 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 i love what you said about that it's a team responsibility it's a it's the team that needs to 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 work on this rob thanks for the call you're welcome you know when i think about this in terms of uh, grafton high school taking the lead on this and and i don't know if there are other schools that are doing this but the fact that the school board voted on this and and that there seems to be enthusiasm around the fact that they're 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 introducing this conversation is is this going to be a way that that kids are going to be be able to see something and say something because so often these cases of sexual abuse or or any type of abuse are recognized after the fact and so far down the road, whether it's five years, 10 years and into these, these, these kids adulthood. And by that time, there's been a manifestation of, of guilt or anger or, or, or sorrow in, and sometimes it leads to, to other things, whether it's suicide or self harm. And so, so if we can try to do anything that stops this, earlier rather than later i say this is is a good thing for the school to to tackle if there is a role for the school and for the curriculum and for the educators and and so many of the callers again took that personal responsibility and said yes i appreciate that somebody is making that first step is kind of tapping around that topic because it's a tough topic. All of these are tough topics to tackle with kids as, as a, as a mom of two young boys, I'm, I've, my oldest is going into second grade. Boy, it, it sure helps when these things are communicated and in the curriculum and the schools will help guide the parents. So uh, kudos to Grafton high school or Grafton school district for making this decision. Uh, hopefully this, this will will take fire and hopefully this will help uh these students with sexual abuse in in the future see something say something coming up next we're going to talk transportation we're going to talk shipping all very glamorous subjects but amazon and how the the crisis with truck driving with truck drivers and employment is affecting your bottom line this is tracy johnson on wtmj WTMJ is your one-stop shop for all things Summerfest. Today's live broadcast at the Big Gig is sponsored by Wisconsin Harley-Davidson in Oconomowoc. We'll be down there live at the lakefront for Wisconsin's afternoon news. That was NF. 
who will be opening for Halsey at the American Family Amphitheater later today. Text in the word Summerfest to 414-799-1620. Get a lineup, a rundown of all things Summerfest happening today. So uh, uh, with the introduction of Foxconn in the Wisconsin marketplace, we've been talking a lot about the constraints that this will be having on the workforce and the fact that many employers are already facing worker shortages. And yeah, these are, are prevalent throughout the state of Wisconsin, throughout the many sectors uh, in, our, in our state. But increasingly, this is prevalent in a particular segment, and that is with truck drivers. I, I was talking last week with a friend of mine who transports uh, supplies, and he suggested that he is spending a lot of time on what he calls an apology tour because they are unable to deliver the goods to their customers. And it's not because they're falling down on production. It's because they don't have the truck drivers, the people to take the goods from one place to the next. And the trucking industry is really has been and I believe in many ways always will be the backbone for the U.S. economy. And now more than ever, they're carrying more weight, more packages, more goods, and they are facing a critical shortage of drivers. And so there's a compression point right now that's sending this this wave through the supply chains and the vendors and the customers. And it's forcing an increase in the shipping costs. We even see it for Amazon Prime members who are feeling the pinch, so to speak. You've got demographics working against us with the average driver population increasing and a lack of interest for those younger drivers. And so what what do we do about this? Where do we go with this situation? It's it's it the, the truck driver pay is as high as as $80,000. Experienced drivers who work for for private fleets can make as much as $86,000 a year. And they're just refusing to do it. There's a lack of interest in in this particular career. So to keep up with all of this, these companies are increasing their shipping rates and they're still not able to keep up with the demand. So 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 these customers like we said are starting to feel the effects. Amazon for for those who are Amazon Prime users, your your prices just went up by 20 bucks from $99 to 119. And even though they're increasing the prices and they're increasing the shipping, they may not be able to deliver. I was just this past week. I I looked through my email. I've had five different things where the shipping date was delayed. Now, I don't think that's a coincidence. What I'm ordering is not going out of stock. I think there is something going on that despite how much you're willing to pay for a package to get from point A to point B, you might not be able to get it. And so is this online shopping able to sustain? I I don't know. I say don't knock down the malls. Don't close all the stores because I think there 
there's going to be a swing or a balance because there aren't enough truck drivers. There aren't enough ways to get things from point A to point B. And this discussion about driverless vehicles and driverless shipping and and, and dedicated shipping lanes is just going to continue to evolve. This is Tracy Johnson on WTMJ. Good afternoon. This is Tracy Johnson filling in for Jeff Wagner on this hot and humid Friday afternoon. Uh, I have the opportunity when I fill in on the show to talk to many, many fabulous, fascinating people. And and I am so excited for our next guest uh, who will be coming up after the break. Uh, Margaret Farrell, uh, the 42nd Lieutenant governor of the state of wisconsin and the first woman to hold this office uh i i have known margaret for over a decade now stemming back to my work at the milwaukee symphony orchestra where she was a a board member and then also uh very involved in one of the committees that i was working for and i have just really admired and appreciated all the things that she has done all the things that she is doing and, and and all that she will do in the future. And so I'm I'm really excited we're going to have the chance to to talk with her a bit. Uh I, I saw her on a, on a panel for Biz Times. They do a, a an executive women panel and she was one of the presenters and one of the speakers and and again was just reminded uh of all of the great things that that she has done, that the state has done, that she has supported. Uh and I'm really excited to talk to her about about that, the state of politics uh and her, in her role in all of that. So so stick with us coming after the break. We'll have with us Margaret Farrow uh on the line. 42nd Lieutenant Governor for the state of Wisconsin. This is Tracy Johnson on WTMJ. Good afternoon. This is Tracy Johnson on WTMJ. Fill in for Jeff Wagner on this Friday afternoon. And and with us today uh, on the line, we are so fortunate to have with us uh, Lieutenant Governor, former Lieutenant Governor, Margaret Farrell. Margaret, thanks for being here. Good to be with you, Tracy. I'm delighted to join you. Well, this is going to be a, such a, a, a fun conversation, and I, I appreciate your taking the time. Um, so, you know, I had seen you a couple of weeks ago on a panel, and uh, it just I was reminded that we need to to connect and we need to touch base. And so, I'm so glad that this has finally happened. So, as Lieutenant Governor of Wisconsin and the first woman to have this role. You know, we talk a lot about women in politics and, and, and often there's kind of this shroud of, of secrecy. Like, how do we get into politics? You did it before people probably even wondered. Tell us how you got there. Well, it was interesting because it started, and I'll make this as brief as possible, but it's my lifetime. Um, I started in sixth grade civics class, falling in love with good public policy and the way our government was structured and the way it governed the people and the way we had a voice in what was going on. And I literally never had, I took every history class I could take in high school. I thought I was majoring in history until I discovered political science because that was the part of history I liked more than how many wives did King Henry have, what, how was uh, England being governed, what was their structure under King Henry. So I, um, and I thought someday I'd go on to law and go into constitutional law. Well, that didn't happen. Um, but I have, 
I just have always been so fascinated and so committed to knowing more about my government and about um, about good public policy and how you can have it happen, how you can make it happen, how you can have your voice heard. And it started in the village of Elm Grove, where John and I moved, and where we raised had and raised our five sons, all of whom are living in Wisconsin, I say with great pride. And four of them right in this area and one up in Eau Claire. He doesn't dare go over to Minnesota. I've got, I'll know if he goes. <clears throat> but, um, that's, I really got in that way and I started attending village board meetings, um, for the group, for the, that, the League of Women Voters that I was in at the time before it kind of transformed itself and became a very liberal group. When I got into it, it reflected the communities in which it existed. And, um, so I would go and report back what was going on at the village board. And um, they all thought the, village, the board members always had been men. And uh, this, you know, I was slightly graying even then. This woman was sitting in the back of the room, and they thought I was from the press because I was there every meeting. And they, I finally, well, to make a long story short, I ran for office and figured, they're doing it. Why can't I do it? I have some ability and some interest here, and I have some time between raising all the kids. And John was always so handy to help with evening meetings and what have you. So I ran, and I almost beat an incumbent. Ran again the next year, and I lost a whole bunch of votes because we had had our fifth son. And I lost all the nuns' votes in the Notre Dame convent on Watertown Plank Road. And, and it was just a riot. And I'm a Catholic, which was, made it very interesting. And so um, they appointed me to the Board of Appeals and from there to the Planning Commission. And then I ran. They appointed me to the Village Board after apparently I proved myself when they needed someone to fill an opening. And... Um, and then from there, I served on the board for for three terms and then became village president, served there for three terms, and kept being pushed to run for the assembly and ultimately did back in um, 1907, and this, let me think real quick, 1986. And I went to the assembly the same year Tommy Thompson moved from the assembly to the governor's chair. And um, it it's all... I, I, I said I, it was no big design. If you had asked me way when this started, are you, are you going to be a, an office holder? And I'd say no. I you know I just love government. What can I do to help? What can I do to put an oar in? And uh, it just all evolved from there. And I used to simil- make it similar to walking down a hallway and a door would open and I'd look in. And if it was something I thought I really should stop and see, I'd walk in. And that's kind of how my career developed. Something, an opportunity would present itself and John and I would sit down and talk about it and I'd either take it or I'd say no thank you. <laughs> well, and what a great motivation to be involved. It's your passion and policy and and being curious about the world so so for for women out there or even men anyone out there looking to get involved what would you what would you tell them well i think there's several ways first of all really take a long hard look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself if you are up to having yourself exposed much worse now than when i was running i i was involved in 27 years in elective offices and the last 16 were out in madison and uh, it you know, began in the Assembly, went to the Senate, and then ultimately, as you said, when I, I was appointed to the uh, role of lieutenant governor and approved by both houses of the legislature, the, um, it was an interesting experience. But um, you really have to be sure you've got what it takes. Uh, nowadays, people you know, think small business takes great risks to meet a payroll. And to, let me tell you, there is nothing like putting your name on a ballot now that is a personal risk. 
I, I, it's just some. I really admire anyone who's running in this time and this day and age with social media and with the press thinking. You know, they've got the answer to everything. Not all the press, but the <laughs> I'll, use, I'll use Trump's term, the fake press. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I just. I really encourage people. We've got people out there concerned. We have people who know things from their background. You should have experience before you do it. Don't come right out of college and say, I'm going to run for office. You've got a marvelous head of good information, but you haven't had enough of life experience. And um, so, I would, and I can speak, <laughs> I know what I'm speaking for, because kids would come to me uh, coming out of college and say, you know, oh, Senator, you know, I want to do what you're doing, and my, the seat in my area is opening up, and I've got to take the chance now, it may never open it up again. And I'd say, no, you, you wait. And they'd look at me and say, why? And I said, because you've got to be better seasoned to know what is a good judgment about a bill from your own experience, not just relying on other people to tell you. And I'd ask them, like, how old do you think I was when I ran for the assembly? And they'd look at me and not have an answer, and I'd say I was 51. And they were dumbfounded. They said, you mean there's later years that I can do this? And I said, I'm going strong. <laughs> Quite frankly, I'm still going strong. But that, that surprised them. And it's so, we really need people who have had that life experience. Bring certain things to it. Share with your colleagues when you get out there. That If you can build off everyone's experience and strength, we have a much better legislative process. Well, and even how how people make decisions and, and what you spoke to was really the motivation behind it. As a legislator, uh, for, you can't know everything about everything, but you have to know how to get that information and have those connections right. in order to make sound decisions. And be willing to listen to other people. <laughs> Absolutely. So you were involved early on. Let's go back to 2016. Sure. You were, you were involved early on in garnering support for Trump in Wisconsin, a state that people still to this day can't believe that he won in the presidential election. How did that that initial meeting come about? Well, and I was I was asked by his campaign and people very close to the campaign here in the state to become part of it, to lend my name to it. And I, I said yes, because I, I am a news hound. I do listen to everything. I do read everything. And uh, so you don't have to catch me up generally. And uh, I felt that once he had won the primary and was on his way, I saw things that I hadn't seen in other candidates. I had a different candidate. Um, my original candidate was Marco Rubio. And um, that was, well, after our governor was out of the way and other things had evolved. And uh, I then I saw that he, Mark, Mark wasn't going to make it. So I really, I think Donald Trump will go down in history as one of the most unique presidents we've had. And he brought all of his life experience to this role. I mean, he's, he's 70, and he has been a builder. He has been a planner. He's been a developer. He's been, he knows how to do, he's been a negotiator, as we all know. And so I really liked what I saw as an opportunity, and I really I liked the way he was running his campaign. It was different. It was out of the norm. And I just wanted to give him a chance to see if that could be a way to get to, to become president. And he did. I'm, I'm, you know, so it's an interesting thing to continue to watch. So, and, and we talked about this earlier, and I face this too as someone who has supported the president from early on, is, is how do you answer people when when they ask you how you can support a president that that they don't think supports women, how do you respond to that? Well, I guess it, 
you know, there's a lot has gone on in politics in the last 20, 30 years. Um, we know what he's done because of social media and because of news and because of everything's wide open now. We didn't know that some of our previous presidents were as, every bit as much of a, I'll use the term philander, uh, as people are charging Trump with being. I mean, nobody knew what Jack Kennedy was doing every day in the White House when they would bring women to him. Oh, my God, no. I mean, if we knew that, he wouldn't be, you know, he would not have been uh, canonized a saint. I mean, I'm not saying he wasn't a good public policy person, you know, in doing what he was, and he wouldn't be a Democrat if he were here today because his policies were much different than the present Democratic policies. My point is, we didn't know a lot about the other people. So this isn't the first imperfect human being. We just know everything about him. So so speaking of that, what does this mean for the Republican Party? You saw that Paul Ryan is stepping away from his role. You see what's happening with the the elections throughout the beginning of 2018 here. The the Trump-backed candidates are are winning. What what's go, what's the Republican Party going to look like next election? Well, I think we're going to look like a successful party that knows how to get things done that people want to have done. I mean, this this president has fulfilled his promises far more rapidly and far more directly than previous presidents for a number of terms, I would say. And um, I think the Republicans have to continue to listen to the people, to listen to their constituencies, and stay with what they believe in. And um, my concern is that they get as excited about this election in the midterm time as they were about the presidential time to vote. I mean, some of the some of the losses we've had in the state early on that I'm going back to the one over in the in the um, La Crosse area and others. I mean, the turnout was less than a third of what it had been two years previously when they want to say, well, President Trump carried it with this and that. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the same electorate. And people, I took my granddaughter to vote the first time this past spring, and I had her register and she, the whole bit. And she, and she, they all know I'm a junkie, and so they all know they're going to get this. And I've threatened all my grandchildren that if they don't vote at every single election, I will haunt them for the rest of their lives. So she, she and I are walking out of the polling place, and I said, "You know, you just voted for about eight other people." And she turned and looked at me, and I, she said, "What do you mean, Grammy?" And I said. Why, why would you say that? And I said, because we came, you came, and they didn't. So your vote is hev- more heavily weighted because you voted in the place of eight other people besides yourself. And she said, well, why don't they vote? And I said, because they don't respect the wonderful right we have to have a very strong voice in forming our government. They, they ignore it. They don't take that responsibility on. And she said, oh, and she, was, she was dismayed. So I hope I drove that point home. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think that's a that's a really good point. And, and after the break, uh, uh, Margaret, I want to get your take on a number of the primaries and elections coming up, because the, the, the state of Wisconsin is is still in the balance. And we have a lot, a lot at stake here. So uh, after the break, I want to ask you about the the upcoming Senate race and some of the other uh, elections coming up. So uh, so I hope you'll stick with me for sure. Okay, thank you. This is Tracy Johnson on WTMJ. We'll be right back. 
The president is back in the nation's capital following a trip to the Badger State. Questions remain, however, about tariffs impacting Miller and Harley-Davidson. John Mercure discusses with Congressman Mike Gallagher at 320 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. We're rejoined now by the 42nd Lieutenant Governor of the state of Wisconsin, Margaret Farrow, who was with me last segment. Welcome, Margaret. Hi, good to be with you again. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, we we could we could do this for three hours, but right. <laughs> uh, uh, so you you're involved still, very involved with Republican Party in Wisconsin, with a number of of important races. Can you give us a feel for one of the races that I think is 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 maybe the most important one coming up outside of the governor's race, and that is the U.S. Senate race. Uh, yes, I can, because I know Leah Vukmir Leah so well. We go back to the time that we both were on radio on Friday nights or TV on Sunday mornings. It was taped on Friday nights. And um, she was a mother, and she was concerned about education. And she was form- forming and working with a group called PRESS. It was an acronym. And I used to sit you know, before the shows and listen to her during the show and speak with her after the shows and then we'd meet at other events and she just was so kind of what I described myself that she was so concerned she had such a passion for the subject even though she was a very qualified and practicing nurse besides her two children and so I got to know her well and then I saw her come into the assembly as I was leaving and then she came into the Senate. She moved down to the, into the Senate when that seat opened up. Actually, it wasn't an easy move. She beat the Democrat who was in the seat and uh, came out on top and, and moved to the Senate. And um, I've just followed her career. I've followed her politics. I've followed her qualities that she's so concerned about. And she, is, she has always been so concerned about education. She's been so concerned about safety. She's been so concerned about the value and quality of life. And so... She, I mean, she. I want her speaking for me. <laughs> yeah, and, no, that's great. And, and in terms of uh, of of the state of the race as it stands today, what do you think is going to stick out in the voters' mind? Because no longer is this a local election, and you've dealt with statewide elections. Right. What what's it? What does it take? Well, I think what it takes first of all is to make sure people li- listen and are paying attention and not grabbing some quick line on it. 30-second radio or TV commercial and find out what the real facts are. And I think that she has, you know, she can answer any question anyone wants to ask her. But as constituents, I believe when you look across the whole five, five, more than five million people in the state of Wisconsin, I have a truism. When you get to my age, you can have truisms from our own experience. I believe people really start watching elections two weeks before. I know that sounds silly, but trust me. I've seen it happen mm-hmm. time after time. My only concern now is with early election, early voting. That almost gets pushed back another two two weeks. People who are going to early vote pay attention that much earlier. So now it's a broader period of time, perhaps. I want people to pay attention. I want them to hear not just the canned ads. I want them to take advantage of any any debate that's on the air or on radio. I want people to try to get the facts before they would go into the voting booth. Um, I think I want someone who knows this state well, and no one knows the state as well as Leah, including the present office holder. No one understands things that she has such experience with. Um, she's very concerned about veterans. Her own son is mm-hmm. uh, an Army Ranger presently serving, and so she's a Blue Star mother. And um, 
I, I just think she's just ready to, ready to do it, and it's, it's her time. So what's at stake in this election? I think for, for many people, it's there's just so many elections going on. And this one, while it's it's taking a lot of, of, of attention, do people realize what's at stake? Well, you know, if we, we're seeing what's at stake by what can't happen in the U.S. Senate right now. Mm-hmm. Things that should be happening can't because of the other side pulling this or pulling that or not having enough votes and we have one or two turncoats or renegades in our own side of the aisle who can't be won over. So we need more than the two-vote majority. In fact, we don't even have two votes anymore because unless John McCain can be brought back to the building and he's you know, still very seriously ill and convalescing in Arizona. No, no one knows if he'll ever come back. To, I'm saying this. No one has said, told me this. Sure. But he may never come back to the to the Capitol. And we we have that seat that's sitting there, and he can't vote. You know, from the distance that we, there isn't any distant voting allowed. And so we really we need more seats on our side of the aisle to really get the rest of the work done that we all want to see done. And uh, that's why this seat is very. It's not. It's not pinpointed as one of the critical ones. I believe it is one of the critical ones. Well, and sure, and that election is coming up mid-August, so early voting will start in in just a matter of weeks. Right. The the the, the actual primary is August fourteenth, and it's generally in most communities two weeks out of that that you can walk into your your city or hall or village hall or town hall or wherever they designate and be able to vote in the two weeks prior to that without an excuse. You used to have to have an excuse to vote absentee, as it was called. You don't need an excuse now. And what I beg people to think about is make sure the college kids who are home right now and don't leave until after that time, make sure they vote before they go back. And at the same time, go to their city or village hall and have them ask for an absentee ballot to be sent to them at school so that um, in case they can't get home in time for the first Tuesday in November, uh, they could have the ballot sent to them and sent it back and still have their vote count. I believe a lot of the young people, contrary to what some people think about millennials, I think they're more conservative than the generation, Mm -hmm. generation ahead of them. Yeah, I've 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 seen that. I've heard that, and I, I I appreciate that you echo that. Does Does Governor Walker breeze through this next election? No, and he shouldn't think, and he isn't thinking that he could. Mm-hmm. I, I look back to when I was serving; it was the four elections Tommy Thompson had. He never took an election for granted. He was nervous as could be about every one of his elections, even though he each one just brought more of a, a larger majority to him because people were so approving of what he was doing for the state. No, Governor Walker, though, he can point to an awful lot of success and had the legislature with him through Act 10, and now Act 10 has not only been you know, approved by us and approved by some of the things, motions that have been brought before our Supreme Court, now the U.S. Supreme Court has said you were right with this recent decision they just brought out about the uh, public, uh, public sector pensions. And so I mean, there's still... We have bill. We have lawsuits pending here in the state about that that have kind of been. I'm, I did not become a lawyer, but have, they really should be shut down now because the issue is moot. They can't say, "Well, we're going to go challenge this decision at the Supreme Court." The Supreme Court has spoken that that they cannot be forced to have to pay pension to their public employee unions. So I think he's got all sorts of things that he can bring forward and show the people that have happened in Wisconsin. And I, he should be able to win. Um, 
we don't even know who's going to be the candidate, you know, <laughs> at this point, and nor, nor do they. It's been our turn, generally. The year Tommy ran, there were five candidates, and, uh, and we've had that same number. So it's, I think he's, nothing should be taken for granted. Every Republican who believes has to get out and vote, and those who can volunteer additionally should be doing that. So you take nothing for granted. I think those are words to live by. Pay attention. So many great thoughts. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for for joining this afternoon on this busy holiday weekend. Well, it's it's a great, it's cool where I am right now. Thank you. <laughs> but good luck to you, Tracy. You're doing a super job. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, talk soon. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, Margaret Farrow, uh, 42nd Lieutenant Governor of the state of Wisconsin, uh, clearly supportive of, uh, of of Leah Vukmer for that, that Senate seat. And I think she brings up a lot of really valid reasons uh, in terms of experience and, and, and being in touch with the community and, and all of that. Certainly a, a friend to many uh, of the listening audience. So coming up next, we are going to talk Year of the Woman. So we just had a, a magnificent woman uh, with us, but but Year of the Woman, lots of kind of interesting aspects of that. We'll break it down next. Tracy Johnson on WTMJ. That is Billy Currington, who's performing tonight at Summerfest, the U.S. Cellular Connection stage. You can check out all that information by texting Summerfest. To 414-799-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You will receive a text back with all the information about the shows coming up. The other plug I'm making is for the Outstanding Summerfest app, which you can plan on, you can connect with your friends on. Uh, it's very, very well done. So check that out. So 2018 for many people would be considered this the year of the woman and starting last year really with those rallies uh after president trump was elected we called them the pink hat rallies you know there there was kind of this uprising with women and they were calling for civility and equality and then this evolved into the me too movement that we are all familiar with and Hollywood coming out against abusers. And in many cases, this, these, these were good conversations to have. These are good things to have, but all in the context of the year of the woman. And this continues on. But what I've been struck by of late is, is, is the left and the Democrats in this proclaimed year of the woman continue to berate and take down no other than other women. These are women that are not like them because they're Republican. They're targeted. They're blocked. They're assaulted. They're harassed. They're thrown out of restaurants. There's an interesting article from the American thinker, writer, Monica Showalter, that outlines example after example after example of the left just harassing and tormenting women on the right. Women like Elaine Chow, who was blocked and accosted uh, outside of her home, or Sarah Sanders that we talked about, that were talked about many times on the show. Trump's spokesperson who was thrown out of a restaurant. And, And what did she do? And what do these women do? They, they stand tall. They take it. They take the words 
and they continue on. Look at Betsy DeVos, uh, the, the, the head of education, the education secretary for the United States. Because people don't agree with her and agree with the positions that she takes and the policies that she's trying to move forward, they harass her. They turn their back on her as an authority when she's speaking at a graduation ceremony. There is no respect. And in the midst of all of this harassment and all of this targeting, these these women hold their heads high. And, and people are watching. People on the right and, and many people on the left are watching. And they're saying, this isn't right. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. This is not how you treat people. Maxine Walt Waters, encouraging men, women, everyone to just to, to just stand up and harass people this is not this is not how we should be acting and this is this just eats at the haters when when people like Betsy DeVos or Sarah Huckabee Sanders stands up and says you know what I'm I'm going to keep my head to the ground I'm going to move on and and I think it inflames the left and the haters more because they're not taking the bait and I think this is going to translate in the election to exactly what we saw in 2016. And it's, it's, it's the silent majority. It's the people who are not fighting back. They're going to fight back in another way. They're going to fight back through the election. They're going to fight back by casting their vote. And they're going to fight back by saying, no longer are we going to take this harassment. And did this... Do, does this type uh, of anger and, and, and being able to throw barbs at, at people like uh, Ivanka Trump or Melania Trump, I mean, where does this get our country? It just escalates the anger and encourages the harassment. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on or what your beliefs are. You don't go after the people. You can go after their ideas and you can go after the, the, what they say, but don't go after them personally. And see, that's what's happening here. There's so much anger and there's so much hate with the, these, these women. And women need to hold each other up. Men need to hold each other up. As a society, we need to hold each other up. But, but the irony in all of this is the hypocrisy, the hypocrisy of the women on the left, the pink hat people, the, the women who say we want equality, we want civility, we want our voices heard, don't do it by shouting other people down. Do it by saying things that make sense. Do it by saying things that, that move the ball forward. Because in the end, when you shout and you scream, nobody's going to listen. It's like my five-year-old. When he cries and screams, he gets his way 0% of the time. So let's just be a little nicer. And, and the year of the woman, it should be it should be for the right reasons. It shouldn't be because we're shouting other people down. This is Tracy Johnson, WTMJ. We'll be right back.